You're listening to Lame Radio, the hottest show this side of Diesel. Greetings and welcome to this, a very special emergency broadcast episode of Lay Radio. This is episode 17 of Lay Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the development of the upcoming game Elite 4, known as Elite Dangerous. I'm your host, Fozzer Forrester, and answering the call to action this show, the man who's glad he works with words and not numbers, Mr. Alan Stroud. I hate you. I hate you and all you stand for. When the revolution comes, you are first against the wall. Well, speaking about that, the man responsible for this annoying squeak in my studio's recording chair, Mr. John Stabler. Wow, thanks. Is that all I'm <laughs> responsible for? It's it's like it's like you know something something you know really high and then something really I died. Uh, Obviously, I've just had a really good week, and he couldn't really nail me for anything. Yeah, yeah. You, yours, yours, yours was just mundane to massacre. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I even contemplated Ginger Ninja, but I decided uh, not yes. to go there. <laughs> oh, don't get, yes. don't get oh. disabled on this podcast. <laughs> and finally, our guest host for this episode, the man who puts the CJD into our lives. You may recognize him from such shows as Susan Boyle's Galactic Tour, One Man and His Onesie, The Conclave, Retro Lave, The Space Pirate from Planet Cowden, Psycho Cow on the Forums, Grant Wolcott. Welcome, everybody. Good evening. Wow. You make him sound really prolific. Yeah, I'm he gets a lot. Yeah, he gets about a lot. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking already that Grant has done a superior show this week. So um, we, we ought to be replacing Foz. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we just just go straight into that then and say, what has everybody been up to this week? I haven't been up to very much at all because I keep on being replaced. Obviously, by Grant on Retro Lave and John with the main show. Um, two very good shows, by the way. But I'm now back from France, fresh with my uh, my string of onions around my neck and reeking of garlic. I've had a lovely summer's holiday in the south of France. John, what have you been up to? I'm oh, just busy editing the last podcast, and then I'm going to be busy editing this one by the sounds of it as well. So uh, <laughs> that's it, really. I haven't had a chance to do anything apart from work and edit. This episode does come hot on the heels of episode 16. And the reason, of course, for that is because just as you guys were sitting down to record episode 16, Frontier Development, I went and dropped a massive announcement on us just as you guys were recording. So uh, we decided, yes, we'll bring an emergency broadcast to the fore and, uh, and get the news out there as quickly as possible. Alan, maybe yeah. you want to sort of tell us about the, uh, the wonderful uh, <laughs> retraction you might have to do on the, well, no, just the wonderful retraction you might have to do on your, uh, your mathematical skills, I, your, your beautiful mind. I have already conceded this, okay? Okay, I conceded that all I did was look up some numbers and went, oh, that sounds really bad. And of course, I, you know, the, the top maths I ever did was GCSE maths and at school. And I, you know, I did all right at that, but I, I didn't do any maths further than that. So I looked at it and went, right, okay, I, I can't work this out. So fine, if that says it's right, then. And of course, then we chatted about it on the podcast. And um, obviously, I was wrong and I conceded it absolutely there. So I don't know why <laughs> I'm still, oh, you're rubbish. Yeah, but I said I was wrong. So, and, and in addition, I think we ought to point out at this stage that um, uh, John didn't edit all of the last episode. 
I edited half of the last episode. I could have quite happily just cut the section as well. But no, no, no. I am quite happy for it to be my mistake. But I already said I was wrong. There we are. So hold on a second, though. So, I mean, you basically, what did you do? You, you did what? I said I was did. wrong. That's what I did. <laughs> so you did what you know, many of your students probably do. You went on the Internet. You found something that you thought you could use for your own purposes. And you literally just copied and pasted it into your book. Is that right? No, I didn't do that. No, <laughs> I went on the Internet. I was looking at, at, you know, a particular scene, went on the Internet, got some ideas for some figures and went, oh, OK, and then wrote the scene. Wrote the scene, doesn't say anything about those figures, has nothing to do with it, but it just gave me a bit of a ballpark idea. And then we, for some reason, because we discuss Elite Dangerous on this podcast, got discussing that. And, of course, those are the figures that, that, um, that I'd read. So I just said, well, yeah, you know, this is what I read. And I even qualified it. I didn't say that it was, you know, it was absolutely, this is what I read. And, you know, and, and to be fair to Alan, as soon as I corrected him, he was like, you know, I defer to your, you know, expert knowledge because, you know, it was just something I read on the Internet. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think it's one of the things, actually, and it's probably um, probably worth uh, worth being fairly plain about. I am quite, uh, you know, as I, as I do stuff, I am quite happy to if I am wrong, I am utterly happy to concede. Um, I have never ever shied away from the fact that if you know, it's pointed out that um, that something I've I've gone through, you know, is is completely wrong. Totally happy to go. Yep, absolutely. You're right. Away it goes. Yeah, I'm so. relishing absolutely relishing the spats that are now um, arising between writers. Where you've got Drew, who's has been saying in the forum recently that yeah, clearly your maths is bad, and he hopes that your writing's better. <laughs> <laughs> you see, you see, this is not something that you want to start because you know. I, I guess, though, it's probably my own fault because I did try and kick something off last week between Kate and John Harper, didn't I? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is probably something I ought to, you know... I, I think I, Drew needs to be careful because, you know, when his final book comes out, um, I am going to be... I'm a backer of that. So when I read it, I would hate for me to discover a factual error in there or a scientific error. So, Hold on a um, second. A factual error in his fictional book. Is that what you're trying to say, John? Well, no, not all. fiction is just about, you know, the characters and the location, but, you know, you make reference to reality even in fiction. So don't be such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm still wondering about why Foz. I'm still wondering about why Foz has got all this garlic all over him because surely, surely it was supposed to be onions, wasn't it? You know, have you been fighting vampires in France? Is that what's been going on as well? No, I said I had a string of onions around my neck and I reeked of garlic. That, that, no, that's about as stereotypical as I was going to go with that. All right, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't realise I was coming on to such a racist show. <laughs> Didn't you hear the first episode? <laughs> I think the first three episodes. Oh, okay. So maybe maybe we'll we'll, we'll back off, Alan, uh, because let's be honest, you're you're a little bit. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, manic this evening. Because what time did you finish editing uh, the last show? I, I finished at three and then spent an entire day working through stuff for work. So uh, we've got student induction week next week. So. Um, there's an awful lot to do, and obviously I'm still finishing the Labour Revolution draft, which is so so close to being finished, and that's that's partially the thing that stops you. You know, you continually have to keep on writing because you know that you're only a very very short distance from from the end of the book. So so yeah, so I am I am shattered. I'm absolutely shattered. But um, but yeah, no, we're here, and um, we've got a video to look at. 
Grants, welcome to the show. Uh, even you. though you have uh, you have appeared on many of our other shows, this is your first time at the uh, Main Lay Radio Show, and we should just say that uh, Mr. Christopher Jarvis wasn't on the last show. He's not on this show, and he won't be on a few shows in the next few weeks because we can happily announce that Chris and Hannah have had a little baby girl. Eden Jarvis has come into the world, so congratulations to Chris, and we hope you get some sleep in the not too distant future. So, in the meantime, we have. Grant, now Grant, what have you been up to recently? Taking a week off retro leave <clears throat> to do some important company paperwork, which I'm yet to start. Uh, I've been evicting a, a rodent from the house, which is why I hadn't managed to start the paperwork, because as I sat down to do it, this wee sodding thing came out and ran across the carpet, and I thought, I'm going to have to deal with that. And, and I can tell on, you... I, on, just, I was going to say, before you go any further, how long has it taken you to get rid of that rodent? Well, you know, I've, I've tried all... I've gone back to the knowledge I've got of getting rid of mice, and that's basically Tom and Jerry. And I've really, really struggled with finding a company called Acme in order to be able to buy the bits and pieces that I need. Um, <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so the, the elaborate scheme involving marbles, bowling balls, and various different pulley systems um, didn't work. I am missing a child, but um, I think we should be able to resolve that soon. Um, but no, the little mouse came in and uh, it taught me a very, very valid lesson I'd like to share with everybody. If you have birdseed, put it up high. There you go. Put it up high because mice can't climb. No, well, the thing is, if a mouse comes in and the birdseed's there, it eats it. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It comes back. Um, It'd not be better to put it in a metal container. Probably, yeah. That's a good lesson. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, be- that's, or, a, that's a better lesson. Or even, or even a completely sealed box so the birds can't even get in there. Yeah, or or maybe don't even have any bird seed. Oh, look, there we are. <laughs> well, I, that's, that's another lesson I learned about the bird seed, which is why I had so much bird seed in the house, was because when you put bird seed out your window, birds are annoying. <laughs> They're really, really just downright annoying. Really nice to look at, but you forget that they make noise. So at six o'clock in the morning, when they're squawking outside your window, all you're really thinking is, "Where's my air rifle?" <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so moving on to the reason for this emergency broadcast, Frontier Developments have announced that we have a composer for Elite Dangerous, Erasmus Talbot. And with that uh, announcement, there came a video. The process for the composers was that Frontier Developments produced a um, thematic sequence uh, involving two capital ships, and they sent it out to the people that were interviewing to be composers, and the composers had to basically score it uh, and provide the music for the video. Now, before we go on to the video, which is um, something we're all getting very excited about, Erasmus Tolbert... According to this, he says he has experience working for clients such as Disney Interactive, Microsoft, Avalanche Studios, and Relentless. His output ranges from orchestral soundtracks for video games to electronic music for commercials. They gave him an opportunity to kind of introduce himself in the newsletter because he did say, you know, this is what I've done. And he kind of said, I know that some people may say that it's kind of derivative and I appreciate that. But um, this is just, you know, my advert for myself. This is how me selling myself. And now I hope to be a bit different for the actual soundtrack itself. Looking at the information that Frontier Developments have actually sent out, the pitching process really dangerous 
was quite extensive, they say. After announcing our initial search for a composer, we were inundated with interest from high-caliber applicants. We then invited 20 or so composers and teams to score our Damocles video, which is the capital ships video we're going to talk about in a minute. Key criteria were the ability to write and arrange for an orchestra, and specifically with the space theme in mind, a strong thematic and melodic sense, the ability to express dynamism, energy, and strong choral work. Finding someone with previous implementation and interactive music experience would also be a huge plus. So they whittled it down to six, and then they say that Erasmus was a favourite from early on. His music was extremely sympathetic to the changing action in the trailer and expressed what we thought were very strong thematic ideas. There was also an excellent sense of dynamism in his score. He seemed to know when to go full on and when to pull back and let the visuals do all the talking. He let his score breathe. Crucially also, his score mock-ups were also very impressive particularly his choirs, and as a music team, he also felt that Andres Kinger and Johan Nilsson augmented Erasmus's experience and skill set beautifully. Well, what do you guys reckon? I mean, focusing on the music um, to start with, I know a lot of people on the forums have said, you know, it's very much like Star Wars, it's very much like um, Star Trek and stuff like that. In the information that Erasmus has said, you know, he said that he's obviously taking a bit of inspiration from those. Uh, Alan, what do you think? I think sometimes we have to remember that the video piece was as a job interview. It wasn't a piece designed necessarily as a trailer. And it's, you know, it's nice that it's now come out effectively as, you know, the, the nearest thing to a, a trailer that um, Elite Dangerous currently has. And their comment about the idea of it sort of understating into the um, into the work is is quite nice. You know, I think that, you know, I think he's quite right in that that regard. We don't know how long he had. We don't know, you know, under what conditions that scoring was done. We don't know, you know, how much time was given or, or you know, what, what, what was sort of available to them at the time and how that process is, is working there. So, you know, he is obviously the person that they've chosen from the selections that they've had. I don't really feel much more about it in that regard. I mean, the actual piece of music itself, it doesn't sort of take over the the piece of video like you know, you might have in a trailer in that a trailer you know tends to take over something that's going on but what it does do is it does underpin some of the action sequences and that's fine um i did feel you know and i, I would agree it's a bit generic there are one or two riffs that are in there that you can immediately hear from something else um i've got one or two pieces of um uh, of music that, that sound identical so you know i i do very much think that some of the sections were um were very similar to, to some of those pieces but you know he's obviously got uh, a lot of experience in this and this is obviously a project that will be a, a, a sort of a maker for him in that regard and i think that's that's crucial because i i, I actually i prefer that they you know that they hired and they have hired somebody who this is going to be the big thing for them and i think that's great i think that's really good okay john yeah i mean i, I not much more i can say um about that really i mean even though um as alan pointed out you know it may be a little bit derivative i, I actually enjoyed it anyway you know i just if it sounds good it sounds good to me uh, and i thought it kind of captured all the action pretty well yeah, absolutely. I don't think it sort of took you away from the trailer, did it? It blended with it quite nicely and kept you nice and immersed. Grant? Yeah, I just, want, I just wanted to say it was awesome. It was good. It was music porn. I think we know <laughs> if we're going to keep that sort of uh, theme going, porn is the word. It's definitely musical porn, and it gave the atmosphere. And I think if, as long as we all remember, that was an audition piece. It wasn't necessarily working with the concept artist, which I imagine he'll now have to do. So I think it's just fantastic that we've got... So let's face it, Elite uh, Frontier are working to a much smaller budget than these other big companies. So if you can find that quality person who isn't well-known, 
you get the quality that you're looking for without having to spend the huge amount of money to bring in the big guys. So I think it's extremely hopeful and really exciting to hear what Elite could sound like when we actually finally jump in the cockpits and take out and head off into space. Well, I think we can all look forward to uh, finding out a little bit more about Erasmus in the in the next few weeks or so. Okay, well, leaving the composer there, the other exciting announcement that uh, came out from this update was, of course, the in-game video, the big capital ship battle between Damocles and the Imperial Cruiser. Um, I'm going to throw it straight over to Grant. What did you think of it? It was absolutely amazing. I think I must have watched it five, six times in the sort of street, one after another, and sat there kind of in that state of really that's 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 it this is real this is that's what's going to happen and then um unplugged the laptop ran over and, and showed my wife whose dro- her jaw dropped as well and and she's not very easily impressed on in fact you know if it's a computer game she's kind of going like uh-huh, and what but it super impressed her and then it was can i really go and get the kids out of school because i've got to show them this i've just got to <laughs> show them what you know i've been raving about and involved in for the last four months or however long it's been yeah sorry it's even longer than it seven months i've been involved in and and raving about this game from the past and how this is going to be amazing and now i've got something to show them and watch their little faces go oh wow that really does look absolutely stunning i think it was uh, as a sort of little piece a little tidbit to throw out to the community it has completely revived all that energy and enthusiasm that was just slightly beginning to wane in the forums would you say that was uh, true for you as well, John? Definitely, and I kind of identify with Grant there with the whole idea that um, you know you you just want to tell the world about it. I've been involved, you know, this for the same amount of time, and if my brother wasn't into it and I wasn't on the podcast, I, I'd have probably gone mad, not been able to talk to anyone. I'd have probably been banned from the forums for spam or something. I don't know. Um, I watched it first on the laptop, but I had to had to put it on my big telly after that. And um, you know, you, you see the console come up, and you see all the graphics, and you're like, going, "Oh, that looks really cool, animated." And then as soon as the camera kind of shifts, and then you go into hyperspace, that was it. The, the the hairs on the back of the neck were up, and then it was that that, and then that was it. It was kind of edgier seat stuff, and yeah, the the you know the score really did help with that. It really set the you know helped set the pace, and I, I was just blown away by it. And afterwards, I was kind of, I was made to go and, and re-watch some of the other videos, you know, not just from Elite, but also from things like Star Citizen and X Rebirth. And to be fair, Elite Dangerous just has this completely different aesthetic. And I, I'm not like some kind of like artist or, you know, I, I don't know a lot about it. So I can't really put my finger on what it is, but it just looks so different. It's just got its own look. And, you know, I just loved it. Alan, what about the hairs in the back of your neck? Were they standing on end? Don't know really. I, I I really liked it. I thought it was great. And you know, and it, it I think the most impressive thing is most of it's come from the engine, which is is really nice. Yeah, I I, I think it's pretty. I think it is the prettiest, certainly the prettiest thing we've seen come out related to to Elite. You know, it, it does knock the socks off of any of the the open source related uh, Elite projects like um, you know Ulight and uh, Frontier First Encounters. 3D, you know, it, I, and I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that they're trying to compare, but the, the nice thing is, is that suddenly you've got something that is of the elite universe that is produced by the company that is producing the elite game that actually looks really, really good. And, you know, if you take the comparison between it and the footage that was produced, the Kickstarter, you know, it's massively improved. Um, you can really see a, you know, a huge improvement in the quality and the detail of what's there. The, I thought the composition was really good. Uh, the edit was really nice. You know, they 
played around with with some of the you know the modern sort of references to to Firefly and what have you with the outdoor shaky camera, which I I quite like. You know that sort of Firefly Battlestar Galactica sort of look where they've taken from documentary. It's Saving Private Ryan kind of you know big film and NYPD Blue obviously before that. You know so yeah, I, th- I thought it was really good. I, I didn't really have this massive reaction that, um, that other people have had. Uh, I don't perhaps know why. I don't think that's necessarily a reflection of, of any quality issue here because I think it's really nice, you know, and I, 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 really, I really like it. It's lovely to see the ships, lovely to see it all, all fit together and everything else. I think from my point of view, yeah, I'm going back to where I remember Frontier coming out on the Amiga and uh, as I've said before on the podcast, how the, you know, the cover disc and one of the Amiga magazines had the, you know, the, just the rolling demo of the intro for Frontier and how as an 11 year old, I used to just watch that video on repeat. And this, this video wasn't quite there. Uh, it wasn't quite to that standard, but it's still like John made the hair stand up on the back of my neck. I thought uh, it, it was amazing really to get a sort of a window into what the universe that we want to play is going to look like. Yeah, no, sorry. I, yeah, I mean, that, that element, absolutely. I think you got a great deal of that in the first minute when you had the, uh, the ships come in, accept the, the mission bond, yeah. and then arrive from hyperspace, you know, and the pan round inside the cockpit to see the other ships arrive as well. To me, that was fantastic. You know, I, I absolutely really, really thought that looked utterly amazing yeah and then obviously you play the sequence out don't you so you yeah know, absolutely uh, and obviously the sequence as you say you um you hear the emergency distress beacon from the uh, the federal battle cruiser damocles and you get the option of accepting now i'm not sure if this is going to be in game but obviously accepting the federal combat bond uh, to go and offer assistance it was quite an interesting concept actually that obviously he was in a group of you know four sidewinders uh you don't really know what sort of situation you're going to be jumping into but uh, do you and your mates say yeah okay we'll have a base that action we'll will accept that bond and you don't know what ramifications accepting that bond is going to be i mean accepting that bond does that mean that you're you know you're there to the death and you can't bug out otherwise it's seen as you know breaking that bond yeah but then jumping in and seeing that the you know the two massive capital ships going at each other and uh, the imperial fighters that uh, we've seen you know the concept art for we followed those through the development process but seeing them launch out of what looked like torpedo tubes and seeing just the you know the sheer number of them firing their spectacular beam lasers i just thought the you know the scene they created and the story they told was really really good all in the space of like two and a half minutes but let's see what uh, what bit stands out for everybody what weapons we saw what the you know the graphical user interface the head-up display looked like you know what sort of things did we actually glean from the uh, from the video uh john i'll start with you um, well, yeah. First of all, you mentioned the bond there. I, I thought that was interesting as well. I mean, that would such that would be a great mechanic in the game, where you know, if you're you know of a certain level or well known for you know within a certain faction, that you will get those kind of calls coming through. You know, would that be uh, like you know a main part of a career, perhaps even? Because that what a fun packed career that's going to be. You know, you're just getting involved in the fights going on as a, as a mercenary or whatever and getting paid at the end of it. So I thought that was in, interesting as, as a mission. Imperial fighters, dual beam lasers, how awesome did they look? And, you know, if I remember rightly from Frontier, though, a beam laser was quite a heavy piece of kit. So yeah. how they managed to get two of them on a on a, um, a small fighter, I'm not too sure, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch. A little bit disappointed maybe with whatever they had on the sidewinders. It was like a... It was a projectile-based kind of weapon. It was, yeah, it was, it was the autocannon, wasn't it? Which I must admit, my, my only downside to the video was the sound that the autocannon makes. It was very, very sort of weak. Yeah, it's a bit underwhelming. I mean, it's kind of, 
kind of hard to get excited about you know kinetic weapons like that but then you know it, it if it's got its benefits to using it then you might use it anyway those are the bits that really excited me also i spotted the logo on the the capital ship and i had a, a question about it on the uh, the facebook thread just the logo there and and the fact that you know it's an imperial ship but um, it's not actually the Empire, it's somebody else. You know, they flogged off their weapons. I mean, obviously that helps Frontier in so much that they don't need to go and invent loads and loads of capital ships for different factions. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you're going to have a kind of element there which mimics real life where people buy and sell technology. Sometimes it's done under the counter, so to speak, but um, I think it'd be quite interesting. Absolutely. I think that the the sort of connectedness of, you know, of arms dealing is, you know, it was a... a Obviously, a strong element with uh, '80s Cold War in uh, you know in the world here, and and taking that and sort of expanding it in a way to the way in which the Frontier and Elite Dangerous universe works. I think is you know it's a natural correlation. I think it's quite nice that um, that we have that. Um, I was going to pick back over the you know the video elements. I love the beam lasers. I think the beam lasers looked really really cool and very nicely put together in what they did. I like the idea of them scoring across the hull plating of the capital ships. I'm not sure the scale was quite right yeah. when they actually scored across the um, the ship. And I think actually there have been a couple of comments about scale in the forums and there have been you know, some reassurances from Frontier about scale. I think actually the reason that scale was thrown off, and this is you know, it's possibly, uh, I, I, I'm spotting it, I mean I expect other people have spotted it, but I, I'd spot that kind of thing because of the, the fact that you know, I watch quite a lot of different stuff um, related to that with work. Um, I think the scale was thrown off just by that, um, that device you know, it might be that they, they, that's something that they'd look at in the uh, in the future. But you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, that was that was probably post uh, done. I would say. I would say that was probably one of the main elements that was done in post. And you know, again, we've got to remember what the what the video was for. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting. Was it last week or the week before we talked about in one of the Meet the Teams where we were talking about what the the visual effects guys were doing and what they were working on, and they're actually talking about. Can't, forgive me for forgetting his name, but one guy was working on um, yeah the, the the effect of actually sort of getting a layering effect that would actually do burn marks and scorch marks on the uh, you know, on your ship if you were hit by uh, weapons fire. And I think that was very very clear in the actual video. And whether or not that was done in post or whether or not that was done uh, in game engine, it would be interesting to uh, to know. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Those beam lasers cutting into uh, into the Damocles, something the size of the Imperial fighters, are only going to have what best what one megawatt beam lasers, something like that, from uh, from the Frontier universe. There's no way they're going to sort of cut cut the Damocles um, hull as if it was you know, a hot knife through butter. So, yeah, I agree. The, the scale was off there. Did you think the scale was correct for them going through the, the docking bay? wasn't sure, to be honest. It didn't throw me out. Um, I think what, what threw me out slightly was, as I say, was the, the beam lasers. So, you know, I mean, it was quite a long pathway through the, the docking bay. So I would assume that the, the ships, you know, have been modelled at the correct sizes and the correct relationships. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we don't know what speed they were travelling at, but quite quick. So um, I would assume that that's all correct because, you know, you wouldn't change the size relationship of objects in post-production the size relationship of objects would be set within the game engine. Yeah, I thought the beam lasers look super. I thought, God, I sound like some kind of teenage 
idiot from America. Um, the beam lasers were amazing. Although the you know the, the special effects aren't finished yet, I thought it just the potential of that and seeing a battle with these ships practically carving chunks out of capital ships, that's just going to be amazing to sit and watch. And if you've got your beam, you know, your beam weapon, I think the challenge is to see how many rude words you can burn into the side of your enemy. <laughs> It did actually, it did help me as well because I was writing a, a space combat scene a couple of days later and I specifically then looked at it and went, you know what, I'm going to have beam lasers on this, this ship uh, because they're just cool. It kind of gave you, and I mean, you know, obviously I'm speculating at this stage because, you know, my, my book will obviously will go through the approval process. But the suggestion really is that the beam laser is a very powerful weapon, but it discharges very quickly. So, of course, you get this you know, arcing high damage, you know, impact straight away, but then, you know, it's completely discharged. So you've got to then run around a little bit longer and let it recharge and then then go back in for another run. Whereas if you've got some sort of auto cannon, you've got a fairly consistent mechanical um you know firearm that's gonna, you know, not gonna let you down, is gonna, you know, be a little bit easier to use. So yeah, you know, I mean I, I thought that was you know, I thought it was really, really evocative of elite. Obviously, they have told us that the, the combat in that entire sequence has been sped up for the you know, the sake of the actual uh, story. But it was quite obvious that those Imperial fighters blew up very, very quickly. Saying that, so did the sidewinder that uh, that bit the dust. But you know, that sounds quite convincing for what you're saying about the beam lasers, that you'd put them on a ship that uh, would also have a very sort of high maneuverability uh, mm. rating so that they can actually sort of dodge whilst the beam laser is cooling down. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, you've also got the fact that I think they basically turned off most of the shields for the entire fight because uh, I've had a chat today about um, about sort of the the use of shields with capital ships and with fighters and how you can get those kind of sequences that they had in the you know in the video and their their reasoning with shields is slightly different to what we had there. You've got friendlies chasing down the you know the sort of corridor of a capital ship but actually that requires shields to be turned off for for them to do that and then they can be behind those shields but the shields then have to you know they can't go through the shields as it were uh, you know at will and um, the shields will actually will will ricochet them or at least that's what what you know the implication of the com- uh, conversation i had today was um so yeah you know i mean i, I think it is a little bit uh, done for effect yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole scene was you know, was constructed, wasn't it? It was a, it was an artificial scene as opposed to you know, exactly what we're going to see in Game Engine. But the um, the shield effects that we saw in the Sidewinder, as the Sidewinder was given a sort of a glancing blow by one of the beam lasers, I thought that looked lovely. I thought that was exactly how well it was exactly how I was hoping it would appear in my head when I you know, visualized all these these fight scenes a couple of months ago. That sort of glancing blow where the the ship just lights up, um, I thought was done really really well. I tell you what was interesting as well, though. I mean, just given what uh, Alan's just said about uh, shields and, and and ships going through. I mean, if ships can't pass through shields, then doesn't that mean you know these larger capital ships are not going to be able to launch smaller fighters with their shields up? Don't don't know. Um, the the conversation I had today was about a specific instance that I was writing about, and I was wondering if I could get a ship very close to the capital ship to essentially to use the capital ship's own um by being so close to to avoid its its weaponry we got a you know a bit of an idea of distance but the idea was that you know you couldn't go through the shields if the shields were already up so i don't know uh, you know as to whether the shields have to be lowered to launch that's going to be very interesting we'll have to see if um you know it's a further question i guess 
But also, I mean, you know, that means if you're if you're trying to dock with a capital ship and it's in a in a fight, it means you just can't, I guess. So uh, again, that's interesting in itself. Grant, I was just going to say when you're talking about the damage modeling and the fact that the the ships were getting damaged quicker, that's something that caused me a little bit of just a little bit of concern about being the likes of a, a pirate or a bounty hunter, especially a bounty hunter, because if you can't kill your target, you're not going to be able to make much money. You know, so in, what it takes, sense? in the sense that it takes so long to actually kill your target because of the, the sort of the damage model being so tough. I know that's what they want to avoid griefing, but it's going to be a very, very fine balance to basically making the bounty hunter career useless unless you have that huge overpowering ship. And it fits together with, you know, what we had happen when we were doing Retrolave and Wing Commander Privateer. You ended up with that stalemate, didn't you? In terms of if you had a very weak laser, and your enemy was only of a particular skill rating, and you kind of ended up sort of sat there doing the same thing. And unfortunately, because of the game engine that we were playing with, you know, the enemy was always you know, banking to the in the same direction and coming back and diving through in the same place. So you did end up with a stalemate. I guess any any game of this type has got to balance that quite carefully. Yeah, I think we don't need to worry too much about that because. In terms of the bounty hunting roles, you know, the most part that you're going to be doing in the beginning as you build up your reputation and your you know, your money is going to be sort of these NPCs, these missions given out to you, and they will be matched to you know the sort of level of ship that you have, and they will make sure, I'd imagine, that your opponents that you're going against are, you know, could be taken down by the ship that you're in. When it goes on to you know going player versus player, then you're only going to do that once you have a yeah, a massive old laser that's going to do some serious damage to a player later on in your career, I'd, I would think, anyway. Well, that, that would kind of take it out of the sandbox mode then, because the only way you'll get a target appropriate to your level is to take on the mission at that stage. Um, whereas if you were out and about scanning random ships, you wouldn't expect the game to be that kind to you. I'm just thinking along the line. Every time I, I, I think these things, it's, you start thinking from a point of view of... If it was real-worldly, you'd have no control over your target. But then again, I'm forgetting that this game is very much um, along the lines of a single player, so it is going to be a universe catered to yourself with the addition of other players into it. So there's no reason why you're not... You, you know, that, that particular system you're suggesting would happen, that the target you take on would be appropriate to your level. But it would be a little bit unrealistic. No, but at the same time, you still have that choice. If you're a bounty hunter and you see a, you know, a bounty flash up and you have a look at the ship and you go, actually, he's probably about three or four times uh, more powerful than I would normally go after, then you have that decision as a bounty hunter to, I was going to say in real life there, but in reality, you'd have the, the choice of saying, actually, this is a little bit more than I can actually handle. It would then, I suppose, it adds in that extra level of getting together your group of bounty hunter friends and going out as a collective to take down a bigger target. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, looking at the video again, the weapons that we saw, and you know, pick me up, guys, if uh, if there's any I've missed. But we saw the beam lasers on the Imperial fighters. We saw the Orsho cannons on the Sidewinders. Um, we saw ship-to-ship torpedoes that looked absolutely amazing. Uh, we saw large, what I can only describe as sort of rail guns, coming from the Damocles and shooting at the Imperial uh, cruiser. And from the Imperial cruiser, we saw large pulse lasers. Anything else that I missed? Well, that massive plasma laser on top of the Imperial ship. Yeah, I'm going to call that a large pulse laser. Yeah, it's already been stated that it's not a plasma weapon. Oh, what? Yeah, it was Michael, blue and everything. I was like, oh, Drew, Drew called Michael out on it and said, that's a plasma weapon. And Michael said, no, it's not. It's a really big laser. 
Drew said, well, why is it the wrong colour? And it kind of got left there. Um, I have a feeling at the moment that um, uh, our dear elite reclamation author is looking to pick a fight. I am getting all sorts of grief from him over this maths rubbish. So, you know, he, he appears to want to fight with, with pretty much anybody. I think that somebody needs to give him another book to write because he's obviously, you know, his is obviously all done and he doesn't need to do any work on it. I'm for, all for him causing trouble with Frontier and, and, you know, pestering them for information. You think we should set him loose on them rather than have him turn on us? Yeah, definitely. This is turning into gangster rap, but with writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a... I just think you writers, can, now that you're coming to the end of your drafts, you're all getting a little bit on the uh, on the edgy side. You're all looking for trouble. You all need to have uh, more things to get on with. You and Kate in the last episode were far too pally and far too chatty about the various uh, storylines and stuff. Yeah, it's only because you don't like spoilers. I don't like spoilers, and you guys handed them out on a plate in the last episode. It, definitely it, should have come with a spoiler warning. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't overly spoilerish. It was more a, a taste of interest. Yeah, so you say. But moving back to the video, uh, what about the you know, the GUI guys? This is something. I mean, if you think about how long we we sweated over the you know, the, the still images that we had of the 3D cockpit, um, what did people think of it in action? I think the cockpits, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the cockpit is one of the ones that was actually heavily edited in post, um, as opposed to what they're going to, you know, what we're actually going to see in uh, in the in-game engine. But what did you guys think of that? Do you think it was cluttered like we were concerned about? Do you think it? Yeah, it held together quite well. No, I was just going to say I don't think it's something that because it is quite a concept uh, piece that it doesn't really reflect the other cockpit sort of suggestions that we've seen already that did look a lot more cluttered. So it's kind of dangerous to sort of make any assumptions based on that video. However, if it was to suggest that you're going to be able to take out the bits of the cockpit that you don't want and customise it in that way, then it'd be a huge positive to a lot of people in the forum that are concerned that it does look overly cluttered. But as for the actual structure, the physical cockpit, I think it was fantastic. I think it was, you know, you had the different sections where you could look and see bits of glass and see through different parts of the framing around it. And, of course, with the action and the shaking, and you could see that the actual cockpit was not attached to your head like it is in a lot of games. That was brilliant. Absolutely fantastic to see the vibrations through the ship as it goes through heavy fire. Amazing. Yeah, as somebody who was concerned about cockpits and visibility, um, I was actually really impressed. I, I thought it was very clear. You know, you could see what you needed to see. Whether you'll have that kind of level of visibility in the larger ships, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I loved it. And the herd as well, even though the herd is placeholder, they've said, you know, I think they're going down the right path with it. Mm, absolutely and you know you really got an evocative feel you also much as you know we perhaps didn't like the uh, the autocannon so much but the sidewinder you know makes its debut here doesn't it as a you know as a as a starting player craft because i mean it's obviously it's been in previous games but it's not been the you know the sort of the central starting ship in any of the previous games and it's nice to see the sidewinder making its you know taking its bow as it were and, and and having its moment in the limelight because you know we know from the you know the information that's been released so far that it is going to be you know the main starting ship for most people and we know as well that it's hyperspace capable we know that most fighters aren't hyperspace capable the sidewinder is so it makes it you know a really interesting multi-role craft 
you also you've got the fact that you know let's let's remember that much as the Imperial fighter and some of the other ships have you know have got a legacy of design to them, the Sidewinder's legacy of design goes back all the way to the first game. So the shape that they're working with is that very very you know sort of strong evocative shape from the original game, and it's been updated and it looks great. You know, I mean there were one or two sort of concerns when we got the sort of utilitarian look of the Sidewinder as it would appear in the game in uh, uh, the newsletters, but actually when you put it in looks fantastic yeah absolutely and yeah some of the little little tweaks that we also picked up on the video obviously you've got the you know the holographic display for various bits of the for the hud but when you take a, a hit or whether you uh, you come close to an explosion or impact it to see all of those electronic systems flicker ever so slightly it just adds that extra level of immersion that you're actually there i mean it's only you know fractions of a second but when you're actually watching the video back time and time again have a look for that little flicker that little sort of visual cue that you've been hit um i thought that was that worked really really nicely the other thing of course from the um you know the elite stable is the fact that you can look left and look right you've got your side views uh, from your ship normally sort of f2 and f3 on the keyboard how nice was it to just be able to sort of glance or you know have the pilot glance off to the left and see out of the side of the cockpit uh, and see what was going on. I thought that was a really, really nice touch and just shows you how far these games have come since the days of Frontier. I think it's one of those things the video really has, for me, vindicated all the sacrifices and decisions I've made and the, the backing levels that I've wanted to go for. And it's come completely justified everything that I've done and you know you feel when you get something as as beautiful as that showing you what they're working towards it gives you that confidence that no matter what comes out of this project you're going to sit there with your jaw hitting the floor at some point you're going to jump into a system and when you're thinking now the special little features they're going to hide in space and if a combat scene for a concept piece of music is as stunning as that. What's the first sort of nebula that we land in going to look like? But yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, Grant. And uh, you know, you and John were saying it earlier about you know showing this video to you know to people that weren't as heavily involved in the watching the development news as we are. Uh, I the same. I showed it to my wife on a holiday, and obviously she knows I do the podcast, and you know she's seen little bits and pieces. But you know she's she's about as far away from a gamer as you can possibly get. And even she said, no, that you know that is a pretty impressive video. That's yeah, that's an amazing piece of work for non-gamers to be impressed by. It, you know you've got something special on your hands, Alan. Yeah, I was going to say as well with the fact that. It, you know, it makes you feel as a as a creator of part of what um, what is being produced. It makes you feel proud to be a part of what's going to be released. When you look at the standard of work that other people are working to, when you consider the the standard of work that you're working to, it makes you raise your game. You know, and I I think that that's actually been a, a symptom of the entire development proposal. Certainly, I, you know, I've, I've only got a glimpse of it in that, you know, I've operated on a, a very specific pathway in relation to, to helping with the game and then helping with the fiction and everything else. But you do look at what is being produced and it makes you think, well, I'm producing this, so this has to be at that level. You know, it has to be worthy of that. That kind of makes you, you know, pull your socks up, which is great, you know, because if that's happening all round, you know, if you take some of the source documents that were produced early on, you know, if everyone is being very meticulous and careful about the way in which the source documents are produced and then they're released and then the designers go, okay, yeah, and, and you know, and they take a step up based on what's there and then, then that goes back to other people that are writing fiction and they go, oh, actually, and so they take a step up. You know, you can only go into a spiral of, you know, of quality, can't you? 
yeah, I mean, certainly here's hoping. And one of the things that we, we saw from this video was um, you know, Michael Brooks did say that you know, we've got to look out for you know, further development videos based around this particular set piece, giving us a bit of an insight as to which other departments, as well as obviously the music department and the music composer, what other departments actually really benefited from having this, um, you know, this sequence actually sort of mapped out in front of them. Which just leads me to another thought. When I read a book, you obviously you imagine the characters in your head. You have your own sort of idea of how things look when you go and watch say a film of the same book then i don't know about anybody else but i then automatically see those characters the film characters whenever i go back and reread that book when you're writing a piece of fiction now that you've seen something as finished and as polished as that does it have an effect on how you see the universe that you're writing your story in yeah it does it's actually it's it, it's quite interesting how the process is slightly different when i'm writing because uh, obviously i write a, a fantasy series the the Wissamere tales when i'm writing the Wissamere tales the Wissamere tales are very much based on things that i've uh, set out and i you know there are certain glimpses and things that i use as inspiration but you know they're pretty much the scenes the imaginations are uh, you know sort of things that i've i've invented one of the things that has always spurred me for writing is the fact that i can't draw and so anything that's in my head i'm unable to to kind of in any way that i feel comfortable with them i'm unable to realize them so writing seems to be the outlet that you know that brings that forwards when it comes to writing something that has you know another outlet as it were you know something tied into a game tied into a film or something else you actually you take a look at what's there and you're kind of looking at it in a way of it's not i think the wrong word is to say to emulate it but you're kind of looking at it in a way that you're trying to translate it into another medium i found one of the very specific books that has been really inspirational to me is the um the novel adaptation of return of the jedi and the thing is with the novel adaptation of the of the film, the battle scenes, the space scenes that are described, they're described very, very carefully. And I remembered when I was a child reading that book and being wowed by it. And then I'd, you know, go and watch the film and that would kind of even more wow me. And then I'd go back and read the book a bit more and that would make me think of the film and so on. It was a process that, that kind of, you know, they both pushed buttons and they made the imagination even better. And I think that is kind of part of where you you see yourself as a writer particularly when you've got these little excerpts to sort of clue in um which is you know is incredibly useful interesting okay and just to finish off the video debrief the thing that we haven't touched on yet is the um the actual quick travel system that we saw potentially for the first time uh and coming out of hyperspace and those effects uh john what did you think of it well i liked it you know it wasn't um like a, an obvious Star Trek ripoff. Um, it was more, it was closer to Star Wars, wasn't it? Where you just kind of disappear and reappear kind of very quickly. I liked it, but not a lot to say about it because it's not a very extravagant effect. But then again, you know, from the camera angle, you couldn't see if there was like going to be any kind of like hyperspace cloud behind them or anything like that. That's interesting. So you thought it was definitely a hyperspace from a different system, did you? I think that's been confirmed on the forums, hasn't it? I'm sure uh, Michael Brooks said that it was hyperspace. Yeah, I was pretty sure it was as well. Interesting, because to me that looked more like an in-system quick jump like you had from the original Elite series. There was a centre of a galaxy moving rapidly towards him, so I was like, yeah, that's got to be hyperspace. I think I think at that point Foz was obviously dealing with his trousers. <laughs> what? <laughs> I obviously completely missed that one. Okay, well, yeah, just you, 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 you were busy. <laughs> what, an Elite video? Oh, oh no, no, I need new pants. <laughs> No, so far, the elite video. In, in Foz's own words, you know, they didn't have the same climax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can stay, Grant. We like you. 
<laughs> one of the things I did like in that whole sequence is the uh, the shuddering of the cockpit, the feeling of inertia, and the feeling of um, you know, that was just because you were watching it on a laptop. That <laughs> 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 was just the screen shaking. <laughs> Okay, so you didn't go to bed until three o'clock in the morning. You have an excuse. Grant, what the hell have you been smoking? <laughs> dude, dude, what did you say at the start of this thing? Oh, yeah, you know, I listened to last week's episode and you guys said so many things that I just, I was laughing at. Yeah, you know, just, just think about what you just said in relation to what we just said immediately before it. Come on. Uh. <laughs> okay, so more questions from Facebook. Commander Mpex asks, how much of the graphics is what we'll see in the game and how much of it was touched up? So I think Michael Brooks kind of answered this and then people put more pressure so we kind of gave away more details it's all rendered in the game engine the movement of the ships was scripted they didn't get all those developers and actually try and make them all fly through the capital ship without crashing together but there were touch-ups afterwards and they admitted that the cockpit was kind of work in progress that they were currently working on and so that was about it really i I, you know they didn't go into detail over what exactly was added in in post-production unless one of you guys knows otherwise well, I think you could tell, and you know, I made the point earlier, I think that some of the stuff with the beam lasers, some of the effect from the beam lasers looked a little bit added because the scale seemed a little bit out. You know, that looked like it was post. It was Michael. Michael had said that they are going to release another video soon showing how that video was created and explaining a bit more about the graphics and what's going to be or what can be expected from the actual game when it comes out. So I think there's going to be more of an explanation from Michael officially, which should be quite interesting, depending on when soon is. <laughs> yeah, the frontier soon. Okay, and another question we've got coming in from Facebook, this time from Drew Wagar, uh, directed at you, Alan. He says, there were four Sidewinders to start with. One was destroyed. How many were left? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, something tells me he's not going to let you uh, let you live that one down, mate. To be honest. <laughs> Another question from Michael Hughes. There's a lot of talk about fire in space being unrealistic, but surely you know there's going to be some fire at least for a little bit. If you look closely, the actual impacts are extinguished very quickly, and the only persistent fire is the, is the largest explosion of oxygen from the ship. So, what are your thoughts on you know? Are you guys sticklers for realism, or do you think that the fires are necessary? This is something that we talked about on on the podcast before about you know does it need to be cinematic or does it need to be realistic in the Elite Dangerous universe? And yeah, I think what we came up with there is the fact that if there is oxygen leaking from the ship or if there is you know, an oxygen rich environment, then yeah, by all means have you know have the fires. But I do like the fact that you know for the the torpedo impacts and stuff, the the flames are extinguished quite quickly. I mean, all I'd like to see is that if there are going to be some flames coming out, that they would be you know coming out in the direction of escaping oxygen. You know, they wouldn't all be going up. And from what I've seen on on the videos, it looks pretty reasonable, to be fair. You know, the explosions aren't over the top. Um, So I'm quite happy with them, to be honest. Yeah, no, agreed. So also, Sean wanted to know if the composer is going to continue with the themes he's used in the video or whether his new work for Frontier is going to be different. It's tricky there. I mean, they've talked a little bit about the process and how they're using MIDI sequencing in uh, the actual composition so that composition can can reflect some of the events that are occurring, which I think is really, you know, is fascinating. It certainly goes way above my ability and knowledge uh, in relation to composition. But, you know, I can kind of appreciate it. It's not the kind of stuff 
stuff I you know I, I don't I don't work at that kind of advanced level in terms of the way in which I I score the issue is that you know there are obviously one or two derivative themes and that's that's not you know I'm not I'm not saying that in a sort of directly critical way um, against Erasmus just you know Erasmus has acknowledged that you'd hope that really that he would he would kind of look a little bit more to establish his own voice within whatever he eventually composes this you know this piece was was what got him the gig let's you know let's then move on allow him some space to you know to make the gig you know, stylistically the way he wants it to be and the way frontier wants it to be i think there as well you have to think about the you know the mandates that are given because they're talking about wanting this sort of very modern orchestral you know arrangement system and he seems to you know he picks all that he gets all that right but we want to give him a little bit of time really to to work out what elements he's going to bring and also remember that ultimately this compositional arrangement i expect they're going to hire a proper orchestra and do it with an orchestral arrangement because obviously the you know the piece that's on there i'm pretty sure is midi produced you know, they've not gone in and uh, and rehearsed with an orchestra to produce this uh, this piece of video. Excellent stuff, and I assume they do the same with the uh, the choral stuff as well. Or yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know that you know there, there's some choral sampling there, and you can do you know you can do that anyway. You know, I'd, I'd hesitate to to say absolutely that they didn't uh, do that, but I, I can't see them doing that with you know a pro- proper full on live recording of everything. I can't see them doing that with a piece for an interview. The difference that you can see though from a you know professional working on this is that you can't notice the lack of size of the sound and that's not to talk about the the volume that's the you know the sound sounds appropriate to the instrument because he's been very careful in the way in which he's you know he's nuanced some of the you know the uses of the instruments um so yeah so you know i mean we'll see great stuff well that's going to conclude this special emergency broadcast episode thank you very much to grant john and alan if you'd like to contact the show you can at info at laveradio.com you can contact us on twitter at laveradio you can search for us on facebook and if you'd like to call us on skype you can leave us a voice message at lave.radio that's it for this episode we will see you next time Sounds like you. As far as labor revolution is concerned, you're just about to climax the night. <laughs> what? You nearly did the finish of your book. You know, the climactic finish. Because we have the happy news that Eden Jarvis is little baby bird. bird. <laughs> <laughs> did he tell you that over Twitter? <laughs> you might as well you might as well call her a, a, a you know an environmental park. Just <laughs> oh, live the environmental park in Cornwall. You know, I was going to try and say baby bundle, but it just came out as baby bird. <laughs> right? Okay. This is ruining the illusion of Lee Radio for me. Oh rubbish! You knew it was going to be like this. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we John. Done? Sorry, John. You're, you're going to have to make some sense out of that. That was a bit rubbish. Oh, sorry. I just ugh. the idea of Fozza shuddering is just not good. <laughs> shuddering in his cockpit. Oh. Yeah, so have you ever seen Goonies? Do the shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> uh.